Welcome again to the SEM Podcast. Jack and Zach are here again, and today we're joined by our friend Jeremy Ream. Jeremy, it's good to have you. Thanks for coming on. What part of the world are you calling from tonight? Yeah, guys, thanks for having me here. I am currently at my parents' home, actually, uh, for a couple family events going on uh, up in, well, around Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, but I typically am in Arlington, Virginia. Oh, nice. Arlington. Very cool. Yeah. Well, good. Well, we appreciate you making time to come on with us despite being at home amongst family stuff. So we really, really appreciate it more than anything. Um, oh, no, it's fine. So Jeremy, just to kind of remind you of our format, we'll uh, talk pre-mission and your decision to serve and your reaction going to Scotland. Then we'll talk life since you've been home and then we'll go back through the mission and reminisce. So I'll pass the time to you. I'm sure. <laughs> okay. So you want, so pre-mission, uh, before I ended up, okay, so like many people, I started out at uh, BYU. I was doing my freshman year there, as I guess would have been 2000, oh Lord, 2007, 2008. Um, and I put in, whenever I put in sort of those papers, I remember I got the mission call. I got like the letter and I was in the middle of, I think a big chemistry exam that I had or something. And it was just one of those things where I looked at the sheet of paper and I was like, I'm putting that off until later i like texted my sister and oh my I, was gosh. Like, I was like my missing call just came in and she was just like jeremy that isn't something that you text somebody about like that's like a big deal but i was like so in the zone with like school at that moment that i just didn't even think about it until later um and i, I mean like part of part of my whole motivation for going on a mission I, I, some people have always dreamt of going on a mission and thought that that was something that they really wanted to do and I had like this experience with my father who, well, both my parents are converts to the church. Um, and so my father, whenever he was pretty brand new into the church, he decided that he wanted to go on his mission and he like saved up all this money and he went off to Germany for his mission. And it was like this big thing. And for me, I kind of sat there. I was like, okay, well, I had to live up to that kind of expectation in some ways. Wow. Um, but uh, not that he ever pressured me or anything, but it was like, I just knew that it was something that I was supposed to do. It wasn't something that I yearned to do. I'll be honest about that. But like, I knew that it was something that I, I ought to do with that. And so whenever I finally did get that sheet of paper, yes, I, my first reaction was sort of like, okay, I'm going to put that aside for a little bit. Um, but then whenever I was with my family, I, I was at my sister's house. And then my other sister and brother were at BYU at the same time. And we all ended up getting together at their place and opened it up. And once we saw Scotland, my immediate reaction was like that's a mission i had no idea that's a mission <laughs> at all i was like i didn't realize that it was like large enough to have like sustain itself for that I, I had like zero concept of like how many members were in the united kingdom altogether and how many missions had been there and so i just sort of like you know i i i don't really know what to do with that um, but that was really cool. And my brother who had gone on his mission to Salt Lake City was extremely envious of me at that minute. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, he was like, you get to go somewhere else. I went to freaking Salt Lake. <laughs> I was just like, um, and he, so he was very envious of that. And I mean, like part of me was like, it's not going to be a foreign language. And that was a little disappointing, but I didn't really care. I mean, the Scottish brogue is sort of a foreign language in and of itself, as I'm sure you guys know. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, and so, yeah, that was, that was sort of the, the pre-mission build up there to, to what I had been 
really looking forward to. And it was it was really interesting that um, shortly thereafter, one of my uh, hallmates at Helaman Halls, Andrew Bonin, uh, also was called at the exact same time uh, to Scotland Edinburgh Mission. Wow. Uh, and we had, and that was really coincidental. I, I like, I can't remember at this point if we both knew that. It was just whenever, I, no, I think we did know, both know that because I know he went a few weeks before I did or a few transfers before I did. And then uh, I ended up being there. And, uh, and he, um, and so like when, he was one of the first people that I ended up meeting right away whenever I was in the area. So that was wow. pretty, pretty coincidental in itself. That is cool. Yeah. So you said you got your call in 2008. When did you officially enter or leave to the MTC? So that I ended up going in uh, August 2008 was whenever I went to Preston. Got it. Okay. Very cool. So yeah. August 2008 to August 2010 or yep. thereabouts. Okay. Yep. That was it. Well, take us to August 2010. What have you been up to since then? <laughs> uh it's a that's a long long story i've been all over the place uh so like where i am currently where i work is with uh in in maryland with the john hopkins applied physics laboratory i'm on the communication staff I'll, I'll work my way back to 2010 for you but this is like whenever i applied to that job they asked me how many places i had to give them every single address that i had lived at for the last 10 years and i applied to them in 2019 so it takes me back to 2009 <laughs> i count I counted 14 addresses in 10 years. And so I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I've literally been all over the place. It was exhausting having to go back to, I can't, I had like, thank heaven for amazon.com. Like for Amazon, because I have like all the packages that were delivered to me through all the different years. <laughs> so I can actually keep track of all the addresses. That's <laughs> that was the only way. It was, it was the only way. And like, and, and crazy enough, I've, it's like, I've now moved four times since that time. So I have like now wow. like crazy amounts. Uh, so 2010, I ended up, I ended up going back to BYU uh, and I finished up my degrees there. I did my bachelor's degree in biology, minor in chemistry and music. Um, and that sort of launched me off then to doing a doctoral degree. Uh, I went to Brown University where I started studying ecology and evolutionary biology for a while. Um, and it was, awesome. it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun too. We, uh, at that point I was, I was studying, uh, bat flight and sort of mixing mm, engineering and biology together. We were sort of looking at how bats fly for bio-inspired robotics. Uh, and so it was a, it was a really fun part of my life, but I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't uh, research wasn't really suiting me very well, and I was much more interested in this communication stuff that I ended up doing. Um, uh, it was very fortunate while I was at Brown that the the former editor of the New York Times science section, Corey Dean, she was there, and she sort of introduced to all the grad students this whole world of like science communication. Like you can go and you could write for National Geographic or New York Times or anything else. Uh, and so I actually dropped out of my PhD program uh, and with a master's and ended up going doing another master's and uh, and in science communication and journalism. And that sort of launched me into the career that I'm in at this point in time. Uh, so you did that at Brown still? Uh, what, 
Did you stay at Brown for that second master's or did you go somewhere else? No, I trans I ended up going to another program in California, the University of California, Santa Cruz. They have a one of the I mean, there's only a handful of science communication journalism programs in the country, in the world even. Uh, and that's one of the, the best and one of the top three in the country. NYU and MIT have the other two. Um, and so I ended up going out there and, and doing a master's program. That was one of the most intense times of my life. I think like, I, you know how freshmen in college like stay up to stupid hours and they just like, I don't know, we just do dumb things whenever we go. I like during that entire master's program, I think I saw two and 3 a.m. more nights than I did my freshman year and not because I was out partying. I was just like working so hard. I had so many deadlines to hit. It was a, uh, it was brutal. Oh um, Good for you but, though. But yeah, so that's a, that, at least career wise, that's sort of where I've ended up traveling to now. And, and I went through various internships with various locations and landed where I'm at at this point. And enter in between. Obviously, there were fourteen addresses somewhere there. It was a. Uh, I went. I I did a study abroad in Panama for a while, doing uh doing evolutionary research or studying fish down there in those rivers, and that was that was an interesting experience in and of itself. And then um, I did field research in Belize as well, and it's just been it's been all over. So, man, cool. good for you. Good for you. Cheers. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I'm guessing based on your timelines, no, uh, family, no, no marriages, anything in between. So this gets a, this gets a little more complicated, um, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, I, this is all public anyway, uh, for me, but I mean, I am part of the LGBTQ community okay. and so I ended up sort of coming out publicly about that Oof. back in 2013, I think is whenever I first started really publicly. I started telling friends about that probably in 2006 um, okay. is whenever I started doing that. So marriage has not always been uh, necessarily a um, an easy topic to talk about uh, sure. in terms of being LGBTQ as well as being a member of the church. Uh, so it hasn't, that, that has not happened. Okay. <laughs> um, King, King. That's good reason. Yeah. I can understand. Yeah. Cool. So no, nothing on that side, unfortunately. I know lots of people, some people have like five kids at this point. In time. <laughs> um, and this is just, uh, this is how this cookie crumbled for me, but it's okay. Like it's, uh, I mean, I'm happy in what I, in my life, I'm happy in what I have. So. Yeah. We've tried, we've tried to share with everyone like, Hey, come on and tell us where you're at and what you're doing. Like just adds to the diversity that we all value. And I think Scotland opened that aperture for all of us as well. So that's probably true. Yeah. And I know like Scotland, my mission was such an interesting experience on, on that front, because I remember whenever I interviewed, I don't know that this is a standard interview. Like they do the pre-interview for your mission and there's a stand, uh, I don't know if this is a standard question, but they asked me directly about homosexuality and everything else. And I was just, and if I had those tendencies and in retrospect, I'm like, are you supposed to ask that question? That seems like very prying, but, um, yeah. but, at, but in, but at that time I was just like, like, yeah, I think that's the case. And like, is that going to be a problem? Like, no, I don't think so. And it really wasn't on my mission at all. Like hmm. I, I didn't have many issues with that whatsoever. So yeah, that's, what a what a unique story and i appreciate you being so open and sharing that that's wonderful jeremy 
So tell us more, you know, start us back at the MTC and uh, go through your mission, your experiences, places you served and your companions. Sure. Um, so MTC experience uh, was, I think there was a huge shift from, <laughs> from whenever I was in the MTC to whenever I ended up in the mission. Scotland, I don't know how this was whenever you guys got there as well. They very much insisted on like like calling somebody elder or sister, somebody last name. You weren't just allowed to call them by their last names only and everything else. But in the MTC, I don't know, it's like a big bro fest or whatever. Like we just like call each other last names everywhere. It didn't matter. Nobody called each other elder whatsoever. And and we had like and we were a huge group. I wish I could remember, but I think it was on the order it had to be on the order of like 60 some someone's going to call me out on that wow um, but it it was a big group yeah. of of people in the mtc at that point one of the largest that they had at the time and um and it was a blast i had a really good time um during that whole experience and for me like again my viewpoint on a mission whenever i went was uh was sort of that it was me paying tithing to the Lord uh, just because I was like, this isn't something I really yearn to do, but this is something I know I need to do. And MTC really gave me a different viewpoint whenever I was there, sort of opened up these my eyes sort of to, yeah, this is going to be, this can be a great experience. You can have a really good time with this and you can enjoy lots of aspects of it. And, and the people that were there were fantastic. Um, and of course, like the moment that I end up getting up to Scotland, we take that train from Preston up to Edinburgh, and I'm like a nervous wreck through most of that. <laughs> and the eight, the assistants, I did not like, did not let go on making that <laughs> anxiety even higher because they just come in and they're just like, elders, you're just going to like, you do what you say. Like, this is a mission wherever we do as we're told to do. And I was just like, holy crap, where, what am I coming to? <laughs> um, <laughs> And it was just like a really eye-opening experience as that first little bit. But um, they, I ended up getting put put to Kill Winning. I don't know if you guys know Kill Winning. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, Kill Winning was my first area that I went into. Um, and uh, and I mean, like most missionaries, I had uh, probably a lot of anxiety with talking to people in the street the first time. I, I very much recall like an experience where I think it was just the second or third day that I had been there. It was dark, it was raining, it's Scotland, of course. Um, and like, and we have my companion, Elder Forth, whose name I actually don't know, his first name I don't actually know off the top of my head. Um, and I'll, I'll get to that in a sec. Um, but he liked to play talks uh, during the, during the first thing in the morning. And there was a talk by Elder Bednar that he was playing. And just some of the things that Elder Bednar was saying was just like pounding this kind of guilt inside me, like talk to people, like talk to them on the street. And I'm like, <laughs> I think this I'm like, I've only been here for a couple, like a couple days and I'm already freaking out. And you had, and there's another part of this where like the very first night, whenever we were in Kill Winning, we go out into, I think the main town and we're taking those double decker buses that go to the main town. And as we're on our way back to close out the night and we're riding one of those buses, I don't even know what happened. Like I had like a spidey sense almost at some point, but like that something was going to happen. And all of a sudden this pellet literally hits the window right next to me. And I look at it, it's literally inches just from my temple. Like it was, it was a pellet that some kid had shot from 
from this little development and shot right at the at the bus and the bus like stopped and i'm just sitting there pausing my companion is back seat in the back and he's just like elder are you okay because i'm literally just like sitting there shocked and having no idea what happened and these other these chicks are like behind us and everything they're just like dude i like she says more like colorful language but she's just like she's like dude i would have been freaking the crap out of that and i'm like yeah no i'm perfectly fine the bus driver like stopped and everything came back was checking on me this is my first night like in oh my waiting. goodness <laughs> and, and, and like I'm already having the anxiety of like talking to people on the street, and here I'm like almost get shot at, head. and I was just like, this is not a story. This is a story I don't tell my parents for like five years after my mission, and like my, I did tell eventually my mom that story, and she was just like, I would have had you home right away. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but but it's funny. It's funny because the zone leaders came in and they met us at our flat that night. And I told them that experience, and their reaction was just like, "Welcome to Scotland, man!" And <laughs> like, I'm like, "Great, this is gonna be this is gonna be awesome." Like, is there a lot of like, is there a lot of criminality that happens around here? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> and like, and I make the comment, I'm just like, "Oh, some of the I can't like, you know, we're used to these police cars, and of course in Scotland it looks like they have police vans." And uh, and my companion just like Elder Fort just laughs. And like the van seems like crazy to me. How large is it? He's like, Elder, they need police buses here for all the people that shoot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right? Oh god. So but Kilwinning Kill was a lovely place. Like that was a that was a great location to sort of start because we were in the Irvine Ward and that was Bishop Govins at that time. Um and they were just it was just so it was really a lovely um lovely ward and lovely group of people that were there and i had a i had a lot of fun um in that in the time that i had been there and i know there was one experience that had um really stood out to me there was a sister slightly senior lady uh woman who had i think she had she had sort of wealth or or cysts or something on her back and uh, and she wanted us to come over and give her a blessing uh, to hopefully be able to help her with that circumstance. And, you know, like I, I have had, I had given blessings at times before that, and and obviously knew had seen sort of circumstances that had come with that, and, and sort of the power that can come through using the preacher in that way. And I remember I was giving. I she asked me to give her the blessing, the sort of um, for the sick and, and healing. Um, and that was one of the few times that I had ever had like very clear ideas of what to be able to say to her, um, and to somebody and that I really felt sort of that closeness to the spirit to be able to give that blessing in, in one fell swoop. And, and just, uh, it was an interesting, it was an interesting experience, but I, I remember like she, she wanted just a few days later to get another blessing and and i remember having another circumstance wherever i kind of gave her sort of the same kind of counsel of just like this sort of faith comes from patience for being able to wait for the lord to be able to, to help you and to be able to heal you and, and live in peace like that and she she had like she was sort of crying through all that and she was like okay like this is this is going to be a trial of my own faith but just a few days later, then she ended up calling us and all these, these cysts that she had on her back, these other problems that she had. And she said, 
you're gone. Like every single thing is gone. Wow. Like she was, and she was just like cheerful, really like yelling on the phone, like excited yelling uh, because she was overtaken by that whole experience where she was just like, this has literally been a miracle in my life that like that healing kind of came through. Um, and that was one of, that was probably the first and one of the few occasions that I've ever had to be able to see like the preacher in a real action like that. Um, it's cool. And, and put that in and she was wonderful. Um, and, uh, yeah. So kill winning, uh, unfortunately I was only there for, I was only there for a transfer. So awkwardly my, my trainer ended up going home early for one reason or another. Um, and so I ended up only having a trainer for about four weeks. Uh, and, uh, and then they brought in elder Philip. Um, whose first name I cannot get right off the top of my head here. Um, but Elder Phillips, he came in and, and he had to quickly learn things like for two weeks and then came and then they ended up transferring me out after those two weeks and sent me down to Dumfries, Scotland. So that so poor Elder Phillips, he was wonderful. Uh, he ended up having to go down and take an entire area by himself and sort of learn the ropes and all the bus routes by himself while I just ended up transferring out. But if that's how the cookie crumbled. Um, yeah. Is it, is it Matthias? It is. It is Matthias. Thank you. You're <laughs> welcome. I should, I should know that. I'm sorry, Matthias, if you listen to this. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, girl. Yeah. All right. It's been a while, Jeremy. That's why we're here. We're help, we'll help you refresh <laughs> you a little bit. That's, uh, that's sad and embarrassing. Uh, but yes, <laughs> like, I should remember that because like Matias is wonderful. He's a one I like admire him so much. I, I loved having him as the commander for just those two weeks. And I knew him outside of that as well. So he was fantastic. Um, anyway, so yeah, they so then I went down to Dumfries um, and Dumfries was a lot of fun. That that was uh, my companion down there was Andy Harper, who I know has been on the podcast recently. Yeah. Um, and Elder Harper had been already there for a, a a a little while at that point. And Dumfries is one of the two areas that I consider as like my absolute favorite areas, just because I was there for, I think, four transfers in total. So yeah, I think I had a good six months while I was down there. Um, no, that's, sorry, that's a lot more than four, four transfers. That's like eight transfers. Um, no, six months done, is four, is four, because it's usually six weeks. Six weeks. Six, twelve, yeah, okay, twenty-four, yeah, okay. So, um, and uh, and and I stayed, yeah, I was down there for those six months, and that ward was one of the best. Like, if there was ever a place that I felt like I was in a family, it was definitely going to be in uh, in Dumfries. We had there was a a woman there named Kate Corbett, uh, and she has since passed away. Uh, she passed away several years ago. But I think if anybody who's like talked about Dumfries has probably talked about Kate if they were there during this time frame. Um, he was there when I was there. So, well, see, you went to Dumfries as well. That's where I started. So oh, did you really? She was. She was still, you know, running the neighborhood at that point. So, my <laughs> gosh, running the neighborhood is the right word for that. I mean, she. <laughs> He was such a character. I absolutely adored like, like going over to her and what a ball of fire. Uh, like uh, I, she cracked me up and I, and I, and it's one of those times that I think is so funny that like she would come 
with us, and maybe this happened for you as well, like she would come with us on to meet lots of people and we would end up transporting her in our vehicle, which I know we're probably, which we know we're not supposed to have done. Um, and like, she would end up hanging out. We'd hang out at her place, a single woman, which I know we weren't supposed to have done, but it was like, uh, she was just such a valuable asset to all, and, and she was such a good support person for all of us. Whenever we were, we were there, Kate, um, Kate cracked me up. Uh, and, uh, and dumb freeze, like there's just a hand, handfuls of things that um, that sort of stood out to me. I know, like I remember um, Diane Caven at the time was a recent convert. She's the name that I remember very specifically because she had her two kids, um, Anthony, uh, Anthony being one of them, and uh, and then her daughter, and Diane was she was like a a really hilarious person. I, every time I went over to her place, she would have, there would be somebody that was brand new there. Like that was, this was one of those houses that I was just like, this is either a treasure trove of people to try and talk to about the church, or this is a, or this is just like a a circus house. I have no idea which one it is because every time we went and walked in there, (laughs) she would have, there'd be somebody new. And I'm just like, hello. Would you like to hear about the church? And like, and there's other person like, hello, which is every single time. She had so many friends. So like you talk about Kate knowing like the, the whole entire, the whole entire town. I swear Diane knew everybody. Like she, she was always one of those that had um, names coming through. And, uh, and that was a fun experience because she had, she had a friend that we ended up being introduced to who had, and she had, her friend ended up had three kids. And that was a family, three, three young boys. That was a family that we ended up um, teaching for a while. I can't remember if that was with Andy or if that was with Spencer Chatland. Spencer Chatland was my next companion. I think Spencer was, was the person that uh, I did that. And if he listens to this, he'll call me out on that as well. He'll text me and be like, Jeremy, what the heck? Um, but uh, we ended up teaching uh-huh. this family. Uh, we ended up teaching this, this family uh through so much of so much of the time and i i think whenever i'm trying to remember there was a sister that was in that ward and whenever we were first bringing the sister's name like the 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 person who was meeting with us was ann uh that was her name and she ended up coming into young boys and i remember one of the sisters that was in the ward was like one of the first people she met and and I was sort of like describing that she was struggling with like ideas of like word of wisdom and having to give up stuff. And this woman, this woman's just like, oh, don't you worry, hen. Like I like having a gossip line every now and then. And I'm just like sitting there, like this is a member of the church. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, great, sweetie. Like, thanks for that. Thanks so much for like being able to put that into the area. <laughs> um, as goodness. Like, and is like struggling there with being able to overcome like smoking and overcome, uh, overcome drinking, whatever else, whatever. It didn't matter. Um, she ended, she, her kids ended up getting baptized later on as well. And I, and as well as Anne eventually did too. They have, they have since left the church. I know that they did. Things sort of fell out. Something, something happened along those lines. But, um, between Diane and Anne, that was like a, that was a, a very that was a good time that was one of those first people that i ended up um getting to really teach um 
and seeing how the gospel can sort of work in somebody's life bit by bit, somebody who really was in despair. She was a single mom, as many people, many people are, were um, in Scotland. And with her three boys, she was just overwhelmed with things. And the, the church was a great community for her in, uh, in a time that she really needed that. Um, I should have mentioned that, like, the very first people that I ended up teaching was, were in Kilwinning. That was actually a family uh, that was actually a, a father and son, um, Ian and Jamie. And Ian and Jamie were sort of contacts on the street. <laughs> and ironically, uh, the very first question that they ended up asking, Ian asked us, because this was a time, this was 2008, so you had like the Prop 8 situation going on in California at that point. Um, and you had churches talking about LGBTQ issues coming up. And of course, Ian's first question was, to us was just like, does your church accept like, and is okay with gay marriage happening in it? And I'm just like the one who sort of is there like, no, no, we're not okay at all with it. Ironically coming from me saying that and sort of like saying it a little proudly uh, at that point. And that was, but that was the turning point for him for being interested in at least talking to us. Um, hmm. And, uh, and when, and we ended up meeting with him and Jamie and they had an, they had a real experience bit by bit uh of of coming to the church they also felt that community um that was one of the first things that really brought them in again this was in irvine i, I forgot to go over this this was in irvine um back in kilwinning and jane both ian and jamie ended up reading the book of mormon like incessantly they they both really were interested in learning more about it and quickly were gaining testimonies of that. Ian, they got baptized in those few weeks that I had been, that one transfer, I had been there um, and kill winning. And then I later on followed up with them or through missionaries that had been in the area and said, Ian's now like Elder Scorn president. He's like, uh, he's gone to the temple. He had got his endowment on everything else. It was a really cool circumstance to watch them go from brand new meet on the street to actually seeing that. So yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah. Uh, back to back to dumb sprees, and I like uh, if you guys have questions along the way, that that can help in some. You're way. doing great. Yeah, you're you're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> um. But in dumb sprees, I know the the hands, and you probably might know the might know the hands jack uh if uh the whole that whole family i mean i think there are hands actually all throughout scotland they were all members of the church um and that was a they were sort of the family away from home for me while i was in dumfries they uh especially amanda hand who is still a good friend of mine now uh we keep in touch um she was she's was wife or mother in that family and uh, and she and I have kept touch through lots of different circumstances, um, and they were they were some of the nicest people that were there. I ended up meeting a few others whenever I went to Edinburgh later, um, but that was a uh, they I don't know if they had us over at their home. They ended up uh, letting us teach them. We ended up teaching their son Simon um, and helping him to be able to. I don't know, prepare to be to serve his own mission later on. And they just, I don't know, they, they were the family that I needed at the time and really were welcoming and everything that we did. Uh, 
and that so that that was Andy, me, uh, and then Spencer and me as well, and uh, down there in in Dump Freeze. And after Dump Freeze, I ended up getting transferred um, after the six months up to Edinburgh, and Edinburgh is where I was an office elder, and that was one of the, that was one of those circumstances where. Uh, one of the other elders who was in our district ended up sort of asking, telling me, he's just like, you know, that like getting sent to the mission home and many, and being an office elder is like not good news. It's, it's kind of bad news to me. <laughs> what, what do you mean? That's supposed to be like, there was a stereotype that like uh, office elders were like the problem elders. And I was like, have I really been like that bad? And I just, and like, but that's just, that's like what they ended up trying to, and, they, that sort of the rumor was going around was that they were the problem elders. Uh, president Frederick at the time, he ended, uh, was the president at the time. And I remember whenever I went up and I had like a meeting with him and I sort of relayed that information to him. Uh, he was just like, well, Doreen, if you want to know something, it's that, uh, it's that actually we usually bring in people to the office who are probably the most trustworthy <laughs> because you only get like, a few hours a day to go proselyte. Otherwise you're actually just like sitting at a computer doing all the managerial stuff for people that like, <laughs> that really honestly, in my opinion, elders should not be doing. I was like, I was having to end up doing phone calls to, you know, mechanic shops across this country because elders had like problems with the cars and like, we need approval to be able to get this stuff. And I'm just like, <laughs> no idea. What do I know? I'm like 19, 20 years old. What do I know about cars? Like I have no idea about any of this. And I, I remember there was one time that like this, I tried to send back change or like, like just change back to some of the missionaries and stupid me. Like I ended up putting it in an envelope and sending that through like the, the UK mail and you bet your hands, like there was no money in that envelope when it finally <laughs> What was I in retrospect and thinking like what was I thinking like by doing that? Like there could have been so many more secure ways of doing that. I had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. <laughs> and of course, like they plop they plop you in there and they just like have you managing these things and doing day-to-day work in order to make um in order to make things happen. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, well, this is all a learning experience. Um but the mission home, mission home was like such an entertaining was an entertaining place uh, to be in because you got to see missionaries come in all the time. So my, my first companion there was Oliver Shenton. Oliver Shenton yeah. uh, is, is just one of the most delightful people you will ever meet. Like I absolutely love Oliver and I still, he, he texts me every single year on my birthday and wishes me a happy birthday. He's like the sweetest person. Um, and so we're still in contact even now. And he's just, he's still living life happily. And he was a, he was a great companion. Um, do you to have? He's I, like oozes optimism all the time, uh, and in the in the mission home was just there were because there were missionaries always coming in and out. Uh, you ended up I ended up getting to meet all sorts of people. It was like having a reunion every single time, whether it was people that were from the MTC with me or whether it was uh, other people that were from my former districts. It was just it was a lot of fun getting to end up working there, but it it, it was it was kind of interesting. Uh, I, uh, we, having to only be able to, only be able to go out like a few times, like only a few hours per night was always a difficult task. 
because uh, I think we wouldn't stop, we wouldn't wind down until like three or four in the afternoon. And then like, if you had like your weekly planning session or whatever, like, you know how long those things take. And so suddenly like you're sitting there and it's just like, oh, it's dinner time. Like, holy crap. Like, I can't. and we're finally getting out to proselyte at this time. It's like six o'clock. Okay, let's go. Let's grab a bus and see if we can get out to see anybody and do stuff. Um, but while, but while I was in that ward, um, I, I ended up finding sort of a, a, a nice calling in and of itself because I play, I play piano, right? So I've been playing piano now for Lord, how old am I? Um, yeah, I've been playing piano for about 28, 29 years now. Um, wow. and it was something I actually adored while I was in high school. I ended up playing piano for lots of things while I was at BYU I would play I wasn't even a music major I'd be playing three to four hours a day like while I was at a piano um and I just I loved it a whole lot and like of course in Scotland it wasn't you know it, it didn't have like every musician in the entire war in the entire world and so it ended up becoming a valuable asset in a lot of Fords and I remember like they ended up pulling me into uh, the ward choir for me to end up playing the piano there. And then I ended up often playing during church. In fact, in fact, I think there were, uh, there was a time, I think it was a stake level meeting or if not, it was a very big regional meeting of some form. And they, uh, somebody asked me to play the piano for that meeting. And of course they give me for all the saints that, that hymn for all the saints. Um, and I don't know if you know that, but, I like I'm so used to being able to just sight read music like just put music in front of me and I just start playing it just reading it right off the bat and I look at this this is one of those weird hymns right this is one of those where verses one is over here and verses two and three are this kind of style and then four and five are this style and so suddenly I'm just like what the crap is happening and, just, and this is like a stake level meeting with all these people that are out there i'm sitting at the piano and i'm trying to sight read through this stuff i never looked at this piece i'm just like oh crap oh crap oh crap oh crap i'm just trying to work my way through it and i botched i, I don't think i botched it at all but i definitely was just like <laughs> struggling my way through i just sort of like got off the stand and was like oh lord okay well i'm glad that's over <laughs> but it was like that that kind of thing happened like that was one of the few occasions just because Edinburgh was sort of the central of that stake and I ended up having to do that. It was other wards wherever I would just play regularly on Sundays or for whatever special occasions I ended up getting to play piano. And at the choir I ended up doing that. Zone leaders didn't like that I was playing playing piano with the choir. They said that I need to use my time otherwise, which the the choir director completely directly complained with the mission president about they're just like <laughs> we need a pianist and he needs to be able to be here we need somebody to do this and it was and i was just like you know what i'm like sitting in the office anyway for most of the time let me have like fun like let me like i can i'm happy to share this talent wherever i can um <laughs> and and yeah so i gotta i gotta work with the choir as much as possible for for doing that um but even so, being being the office elders, we did find um, we ended up finding uh, a guy named Andrew, and this was the wildest thing. I think like we met him, and the next day or like two days later was this big trip that Edinburgh Ward was doing down 
to, or Edinburgh Stake, I can't remember what level it was, but they were doing a trip down to the Preston England Temple. And of course, like we meet this guy and we just sort of start talking to him and, and talk with him at his home. And then we're just like, well, you know, <laughs> I think if we texted him later or whatever, we, we told him, I was like, well, you know, like people are headed down to the temple, like either Saturday, it's like two days later. And it's like, would you be interested in going? And he's just like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so we're like texting like the mission, pre- we're like, not the mission president, we're texting like the mission ward leader and being like, hey, can we arrange this? Can we have this happen? And, like, Crap, this guy. and like all the members ended up coming in and just joining hands at some form. And they got him on the bus and people took care of him the entire time, even though he couldn't go to into the temple and they t- walked him around. He went down there and he didn't. And I was just like, wow. oh. Holy crap, man. Uh, and like, I, and I, even in that moment, I was like stressed out. We were texting, we we're, che- we're checking on him. We're like, are you okay? How's it going? What are you feeling? Whatever else. And he just loved every ounce of that. Um, hmm. And so we ended up going and meeting with him. His, like we had meet with him at his mom's house. His mom had like no interest in the church at all. His sister would be entertained and talking to us. She had her pet rats, which was entertaining to me because I'd be like, pet rats eh like she's uh, just like crawling with them on and she'd be asking us questions and he and, and the andrew's just asking us questions as well um <laughs> and but he um he later got baptized like he ended up joining the church and he was it was such a value he was like a great asset he was pretty young too i i, I can't remember if he was in at this point i should have looked this up before but i think he had to be in his 20s at that point and he was just Cool. making making hay with life and um and just sort of uh that was that was something that he really needed and he was i mean he had a strong testimony at that point i'm not sure if he's active now at all but um but that was a a great circumstance of course like people were just like the office elders baptized somebody we're just like, <laughs> like you guys managed on your very limited time to be able to manage to do this and i was just like yeah he was great on the on the flip side of that we did end up meeting with this guy and God knows how we ended up like following this. Cause we were tracking, I think we were going down just like one of the main streets in Edinburgh, not far up um, from the mission home. And we just chat, we chatted with this guy who was sitting on a bench and he seems really interested and in being able to learn more about stuff. <laughs> and he was in a psychiatric ward of some form, like one of the ones that was there in uh oh no is that i know right and he's like that was there just farther down the road i think he said he was just out walking by i don't know if somebody was escorting him at all and we realized this once we finally go and meet him and we have to go through like all these barriers to get in we have to like sign in people have to escort us in they have to be able to like validate their time omg i was just like what is like what is going on and 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 I'm thinking, like, is this is this the right kind of thing? And he was not. <laughs> that man was not all there. And I don't know why we kept going back. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he would come to church and he would sort of be attentive to things. People would try and work with him. A bit. And he was del- he was nice and delightful, but he just, you could tell that he was not there. And it was just so much work getting into there. Even the ladies were just like, oh, here are the Mormons again. Like, they're coming in to be able to talk to <laughs> I think his name was Steven. And he's like, oh, the Mormons are here. Great. Can't wait. And they tried to literally like block us from coming in a couple of different times. They they uh, would put up barriers. Like, oh, he's busy. He can't do this. He has 
oh, he's like down drunk or something. I, it's like there was always some reason why we couldn't get in there. <laughs> um, oh, and, and, and heaven knows why we uh, ended up going back and forth with that for a while, but it it ended up it it ended up being okay. He did he, he did not get baptized. Uh, he did not join the church, and it's it's okay. I don't know that he was accountable. <laughs> uh, it's questionable. Um, so that was that was the experience there. So yeah, I was in I was in Edinburgh for six months. A uh, couple, I mean, there were funny circumstances. There were also a couple weird circumstances. Um, I remember one time we were not the best at you know washing our dishes um, in the kitchen that's there in the mission home. Um, and I remember that there was one time whenever I was just in the kitchen and I was just trying to rinse off these dishes and this I all of a sudden I sort of see out of the corner of my eye it's a little window that's like next to the kitchen and that was open I guess it's been open all night and I see out of the corner of my eye this this like brown thing starting to crawl up out of these dishes from like the uh, the sink and at first like I thought it was a tarantula I have no idea why I thought that there's no tarantulas in in Scotland at all and I looked I like freak out for a second I'm like holy crap and I looked up I'm like oh my gosh it's just a bat it's like there's a bat that had like camped out in our dirty dishes in the kitchen all oh, night. Man. And I'm there like washing it, putting down the soap. This poor thing comes up soaked to high heaven. And it's just like crawling. And it's just like, dear Lord, what has happened to me? <laughs> you poor thing. Well, the assistants come running in then into the kitchen. And they're just like, oh, the room, what's wrong? What's wrong? And it's just like, there's a bat in the sink. They're like, a bat. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, like you have to understand now, having worked directly with bats, how stupid we were to have continued doing anything with this animal. <laughs> but we did. We picked up the plate with the bat, and this thing has got to be exhausted and freaked out now that it's just been drowning in water for at least a few minutes. Oh and and the assistants are just like, and so I, I I like I forget what they ended up trying to do. They ended up trying to put it onto. Somehow it ended up on this long stick and they were just like trying to dry it off. They're just whizzing it around for a little while. This poor thing is just flying around. This is like in the the room where they bring all the missionaries to be able to introduce. And they're just like, we're going to dry him off. We're like in the blow dryer. And this poor thing is just freaking out. And then they get the idea that it's like, okay, so right. The, 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 the room that is on the top, like where the kitchen is and everything else, right, is like two floors up or whatever. So they go out to the balcony and they're just like, if we just let it go, maybe it'll start flying away. And and I'm just like, I'm pretty sure it's just going to die. <laughs> it's just going to end up falling and die. But they just throw it and it just like lands and goes like flats down on the ground and then they run down to go grab it again. And just like, this poor animal is not going to make it. <laughs> and and they go grab it again and they put it, they just like, okay, fine. We'll just leave it up on like the stone wall that surrounds the mission home and leave it there. And that thing was gone in the morning. I was like, I'm sure an owl got it. I'm sure it's dead. Like I have no idea what happened. And that, and that was just, and that was just one of the few circumstances, like crazy things that happened. My district leader, like Sam, my district leader was Sam Munden. And he is literally one of my favorite people ever. Um, he like absolutely hilarious he would come into the mission into the mission home because i was terrible at reporting our numbers and and like of course like being being english like they they 
different cuts for different everything. He's just like, bloody hell, Jeff. Like, other Reem, like, why haven't you, like, reported these? Just give me your numbers right now. He's just, like, walking. He's like, other Reem, this is very simple. Just, like, get it done. Just, like, have these things He was, like, my favorite person ever because he just told it straight. And he called us one morning. His his companion, um, Elder Souder, Antonio Souder, um, was, they, they went out from their flat they went out there was just a sort of like green area i can't remember if it was a golf course or if, if sam was just had a golf club and was swinging away i can't remember what but there's like antonio Souder just like running around the periphery of this whole thing and my companion and i ride in and meet them early in the morning this is like first thing supposed to be doing our exercise kind of thing before before personal study and all that stuff and we ride our bikes up to be able to meet them I'm just like, well, where's your companion? It's like, oh, he's running around. He's within seeing and hearing this. He's like, oh, how do you good? <laughs> he's just yelling to him. And the guy's just like running along. He's like, gives him a big thumbs up. He's like, yeah, I'm good to go. And that was just, that was sort of how Sam, that was Sam's personality. Just like very chill at a time. And a time that I definitely needed somebody who was kind of chill. And <laughs> um, because they, like it, it got, there were just crazy things that could happen in the mission home every now and then. And like, it was, uh, it was it was just very there's a lot um, <laughs> there was a lot the the whenever I first got to the mission home actually um, there was some circumstance going down and Clark Peterson who was one of the I think he was a zone leader at the time he later became an assistant and I love Clark um, but he ended up sort of telling he would know some details as well with this, but and Josh Bowling would know as well. But there was a there was a young missionary that had just gotten there, and had gotten there fairly recently. Very talented, very brilliant, really smart individual. But something went down where he, like the best that we can figure out, was that it was something tantamount to being like possessed. Um, and it was kind of. It was, it was actually really kind of freaky because the zone leaders were on exchange with him at one point. And I think this is where Clark Peterson um, would be able to fill this in a bit. I think he was the one who was with him. Uh, but this guy who was brand new into the mission just somehow started being able to know all these details, like details about like addresses, about where people were from, about their lives and whatever else. And people were just like, well, maybe they got it from Facebook. But then there were just like other things that went a little, a little more bizarre. And, and the zone leaders got a little nervous. So they brought him to the mission home. And this, this is me, like whenever I first get to the mission home, this is sort of going down. And this is also during, I think it was general conference too. And this elder just sort of like went from being a little freaky to just sort of losing it a bit. Apparently before I had gotten there, the missionaries had been trying to, were really struggling to keep this guy uh, in, in line. They couldn't get him to sit down. They couldn't get him to keep his clothes on. <laughs> like he's there eventually just like taking right. his shirt off, taking his pants off, taking his garments off, just running around. You eventually have like wild missionaries coming through this naked guy running around on the upstairs <laughs> and just like losing it. All while, you know, some, some elder, somebody is talking from general conference in the background of some spiritual something while people are tackling this guy down to the ground and trying to put him. And I get there and they're just like, yeah, we're hospitalizing this guy. So we're going to go and check him out, check him out later. And they, and they did like, they ended up taking him into the hospital, this poor elder. Um, and, and we ended up going and visiting a couple different times and he just was, he was not there. This was like one of the scariest, weirdest experiences that I ever had. 
um, he was not there because he did not trust. Like my my uh, my other Chung, who was uh, also in the MTC with me, and he was one of the Chinese Chinatown elders at the time. Of Chung and I ended up going into the hospital room to be able to see him. And he freaked out with Elder Chung. He was like, don't you touch me. Don't get near me. Don't anything. Like he just like, this guy, this elder was like really off it. And we weren't sure what was going on. We were trying to just talk to him, calm him down, whatever else. The the doctors had no idea what was happening. President Frederick came in, gave him these blessings and everything else. And this poor guy, like he, I, I we don't really know. We ended up, once he finally came out of it, they did a spinal tap on him, like to be able to get cerebral fluid to see exactly what was happening or get any diagnostic. Their best guess to this day was just that like he had, that he ended up sort of having an inflammation in his head of some form that was disrupting how his head was. I mean, really, he like, he whenever he came out of this, he sort of described it as being, you know, like he just saw people with like, everybody had like red eyes. People were just sort of tormenting him, doing whatever. It was really freaky. And that was like, and that was like, welcome to Edinburgh. Like, this is what you're going to, this is what you're going to end up seeing. Like first and foremost, uh, he ended up going. He ended up going home early. Like we thought it was an act for a little while, but I don't know. Like that was that was one of those crazy circumstances, and it made me. I thought of it again later. Whenever I served way down, like a year later, whenever there was a, a member who sort of told me, she's like, you know how like in the in the New Testament, how there's all these like weird things, people being possessed, having to have these things, and Christ casting out the spirit into the pigs and all that stuff. Like none of that crap happens anymore, does it? And I'm just like, bro. <laughs> do i have a story for you and i wasn't the only one like there were so many like in edinburgh i there were so many missionaries who had like weird weird stories like that wherever it's just like something that felt off kilter that like there was something close to possession or like bad spirits or something kind of stuff and i was just like that really like hit home with something that i never thought really in reality at all that was a weird circumstance um yeah if, if i remember right i think Chris Lewis was his trainer. Oh, what's that right? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, because he had mentioned that he was having some issues with his companion and the zone leaders were kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then they would go on exchanges and they didn't see some of these things. And he's like, I, I promise, like something's not right with this this elder. And then they had that experience. Like he, I think he shared, that was shortly after he was with or, um that companion and then he ended yeah. up going to the hospital and going home but i'm trying to remember his name i'm looking through my notes trying to find it and i'm i'm not being successful unfortunately it's okay it's like i am like chris lewis right was the one that actually makes sense because i think he was that would have been the right area at the time um yeah that's funny that he brought that up as well that and even if i did remember the name i i'd rather than i tried not to call him out if i could like because it was just it was such a it was such an interesting circumstance, but like such an eye-opening one as well. Like, I don't know, sometimes with things like that you read in the scriptures and trying to take the, what the reality is and to like see what it is versus what the reality is, yeah. it doesn't always translate. And I'm just like, my mission taught me so many interesting things about like <laughs> what, what the world really has going on in it and what the different circumstances are. Sure. Um, Goodness. That was interesting. Um, so I, so Edinburgh was there and then I, and then after I left Edinburgh, I was supposed to go to, um, to Motherwell. I think that's where I was supposed to go to, which had the nickname Murderwell. 
Um, I was like, <laughs> most of us all know. And I was just like, I, once I got that call, I was just like, Lord, what? I don't want, <laughs> do I want to go there at all? That was my bad because I never actually, this, this was the change of the guard. President Griffiths had come in while I was in, was in the mission home. Um, so we swapped, so the Fredericks went home and President, and President Sister Griffiths had come in. And um, I had not gotten my, my UK license, and, uh, but I had not updated anybody on that. Just because I was like, I don't feel like studying for that test. Like, I, I cannot be bothered with that. It's a lot of time. And anybody who did it knows the pain that it has to go through in order to be able to do that and the, and the money that has to go into getting it done and then having to do the driving. I was just like, I can't be bothered with it. President Griffiths did not know that. And so, like, all of a sudden on, those, on these calls, like, the night that I was supposed to be, that they're telling us where we're going to this area, well. and then I get another call later on, and they're just like, Otto Reams, do you have your UK license? And I'm just like, no. And they're just like, that's a detail that we needed to know because you needed to be the driver in that area. So there they are having to do this last minute switcheroo on oh, like no. everything that they had planned. And I was just like, God bless you all for having to do this. And I'm so sorry. Uh, that probably didn't set a good tone for me at all. <laughs> so, so instead they sent me to air and boy, am I glad they sent me to air. Um, mm. I was so, I was so happy. Opposite of murder. Well, Right. <laughs> That's right. Oh Lord, of all the places in Glasgow, do I have to go there? Like, send me to Paisley. Send me to something. I don't care. Send raw. Send me out to the out bank, or I don't care. But like, it's just uh, I did not want to. I, I was a little anxious about Motherwell, Murderwell, whatever. Um, and going to Air was just going to be was going to be one of the best things. And people had already talked about Bishop Gilardi, Umberto Gilardi, who is still one of my good friends, is still a good friend of mine to this day. Um, and and just how wonderful Umberto was in everything that he, he did and how he was sh- sort of shaping that ward. And I absolutely adored air. Uh, like all my areas, that was my absolute favorite. Um, I ended up getting there. My companion was Ashton Rich at the time. Hmm. Um, and he... <laughs> I came into that apartment. I, I like this happened a couple of different times going to these different apartments. I came into that apartment and I remember sort of like they had like these little candy dishes. And I remember looking at the candy dish and like it had like these mints in it or something else. And it was like turned into this gooey, sticky mess. And I looked at it and I was like, other rich, like, what is this? What happened? It's like, I guess it went bad. I was like, it's sugar. It doesn't go bad. Like, I'm so confused. Like, what is happening here? And like everything else sort of was also like looking rotten and sticky and disgusting. And I, and I was just like, what at all? it just went for a few weeks. And I noticed that as I was like continually being there, I was sneezing continuously. Like I was constantly, I was like, am I allergic to something? Like I had no idea what, what was happening. Um, and it took me a while to realize that it, like, this was one of the few places that had sort of an in-unit washer dryer or sort of like a dryer of sorts but this had like a nice the 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 tubing that's supposed to go out and pump the humid air from the dryer had dissolved effectively so it's just like wire and then sort of like the actual material oh my gosh (laughs) so the missionaries up until us had been drying their clothes with that pumping 
all of this humid air into uh. the apartment for heaven knows how long. Oh and so uh. then I sort of sat there thinking, I was like, what is, oh, this makes me think I have to go back to Dumfries then for a sec. But like, I was like, what is going on here? Like, And it made me start to think, like, is there something like that? Is there mold growing in here? And that's causing me to sneeze. And I pull out the side of my bed. The wall is black. Literally black. The closet was black. It was disgusting. I was just like, I was like, OMG. (laughs) We're like, cancel everything. We're going and getting like Clorox right now. We are killing this crap. And we spent, and like Elder Rich and I ended up like just cleaning down the entire higher apartment after that went and got a new tube to see. i can't i was just like i can't believe elders have been sleeping in here for so long how are they not like all asthmatic like i'm just like oh this that's is, awful oh it was, it was absolutely <laughs> awful <laughs> like it was it was uh it was really disgusting but i i remember that circumstance like it was like it was yesterday that was that was one of those crazy things but um we had a like air air was just Full of entertaining things. So our, our companion, like there are other districts, or yeah, I guess there are other district members. I think Elder Salder was the district leader at the time, and I and his companion was Trent Lamoureau. Trent Lamoureau was like one of my favorite people in my entire mission. Like we, he and I were really good friends. Um, and he also just like did the craziest stuff. Actually, no, it wasn't Elder Salder at the time. It was Trent Lamoureau. And then Elder Scott, whose first name I can't remember. And I I remember, I can't remember if this was with Elder Rich or my next companion, but I, I know like we ended up, uh, we ended up getting into all sorts of different mischief. Like I, like whenever there was, there was snow, like the apartment where we were was right next to, was right next to the church. Like we could just walk out the door and we'd be at the church. So it was right there. And I think like these guys had their car and whenever everything had just sort of iced over, it was, uh, they decided to go into the parking lot. <laughs> they decided to go into the parking lot of uh, of there and they were just doing donuts on the ice, like literally just taking the vehicle and just like spinning it around for a whole, all the time. And I, and I think like we got into like some snowball fight and I tried really hard, I, like, Elder Lamro got me, Trent got me like right in the back of the head. And I tried to like run after him. He goes racing into the car and starts driving away. And I like slip on the ice and I just like eat it, completely eat it into the in into the pavement afterwards. And there and he and his companion, I, I think it was Elder Souter at that point in time, were just like busting up laughing. They're just like Elder, like this poor guy. <laughs> like I'm there, like I don't I wasn't bleeding or anything else, but it just was a complete massive fail. We did that. We went off. We went off to I think it was some sort of park as well another time, and we ended up building. Ended up building the most enormous, enormous snowman that I have ever seen. Like huge, huge thing. And then for some reason, Elder Lamro decided afterwards he was just like, well, if he finds like a random seat bench, like the ones that you see at those tables in elementary school that for some reason have been dislocated for the table, he ends up finding that and just starts like chopping down the entire thing and just going absolutely crazy. <laughs> and I like, this is just like the mischief that we got into all the time. Um, and Stuart McGee is a member there. He, he still is there. Um, and Stuart McGee is known for having taken missionaries out on, on various trips. 
Like he would take us on our preparation days. He'd make breakfast for us and take us all over the place. And so that was, he was the one who took us out into the Galloway Hills to go see those circumstances. He was the one who took us out to, um, uh, he took us to a couple different castles as well. Some that were like completely abandoned. That's, that's one thing that I love about the UK is that like you literally can find like the most grandiose castles that are still used for weddings. And then you can find like relics that have been lost that are gone forever and have like graffiti on them. And yet they're from like the 12th century. <laughs> You're just like, and this is just like, this is natural to them. I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is, this is nothing like America at all. Right. Um, Man. But, but Stuart knew like everywhere to go. He knew all the places and he loved taking the missionaries out to, mm. to check out on various things. Um, cool. I love that. Uh, yeah, that was, that was some of those, uh, a couple of the, a lot of good memories there. The, um, what I was thinking of whenever I was talking about, um, Dumfries, whenever I was talking about the house being absolutely disgusting, Dumfries made me think of that because Dumfries, I should have said this earlier, Dumfries is like the members were so generous with the missionaries that they ended up giving us all of the food. And there was so much food in there that it just was overflowing from the fridge, from the cabinets, from the shelves, from everything else. And like everybody lost track of what the food was. So I, like, I know there was that one point in time that I found like a bag of potatoes that had gone completely rotten. And of course, like, you know, like rotting potatoes like turn into goo and they smell like feet and everything. Yeah. It, and so that's what, that's what that made me think of. Like, awesome. that. but there was a, there was a circumstance and maybe Andy brought this up because he and I were companions at the time that this happened. I remember it was like first thing in the morning um, that I, that we woke up, I was kneeling next to my bed and I was saying my morning prayer. And I remember just sort of like hearing, I don't know what the apartment used to be. I think like, I don't know whether it used to be like a pub or or what it used to be, but it had hydraulic doors for some reason. And so I could hear like the hydraulic, like closing the door to the bedroom. And I'm just like, what, what's going on? I was back at, 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 at Elder Harper and he looks at me and he's just like, Elder, we might have like a small problem. Like there is a man asleep on our couch. <laughs> and, I just, and I'm just looking at him and I just like, and I just go back to like there's this random guy that's on our couch. And I, and I sat there and I thought, you know, I thought I heard somebody in the middle of the night come into our apartment. And I thought, did we lock the door? Did we forget to lock the door or whatever? And then I just thought, like, it didn't matter. I was just like, whatever. Yet we completely forgot to lock the door. And so like, yeah, there's, there's this guy, we come out and I, I think it was Sunday and I'm just like, well, it's Sunday. We should do like the good thing or whatever else. And so like we go out and this guy is like asleep on, on the couch. And I just sort of like, happen he is drunk as can get he's had has like this horrible hangover uh i mean obviously he's drunk because he like walked into the wrong apartment or whatever <laughs> and i i'm like i'm afraid that this guy's gonna have like weapons or whatnot i'm like i have no idea what's gonna happen with it but i'm just like i wake him up i'm like i think you're in the wrong apartment he's <laughs> like what's that man like what, what are you talking about it's like you're in the wrong apartment. <laughs> trying to like wake himself up. Like, can I get you like a glass of water? Can I get you? Yeah, I'm a missionary. Like, can I get you water? Can I get you orange juice? Can I do something for you? It's just like, 
Oh no, man! Like you have no idea, like what it's like to wake up in somebody else's apartment. It's like yeah, that is a fact. I have not woken <laughs> up hungover and drunk in somebody else's apartment before, <laughs> and everything. And and like this guy, he was so he was really nice. He was he was really hungover. I'm pretty sure he was a Polish neighbor from upstairs. Um, and he just like walked in the wrong door, and he just. And he just fell asleep on our couch. And so he just sort of meandered out the door. And I was like, wow, now that the day has started. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if Andy remembered that one or not. But that one stuck with my, that's like a core memory for me now at this point. Um, he, may have, was, he may have mentioned that, but I don't, I, like, I don't remember that much detail. So that's pretty good. Okay. You know? Oh, no, that was, that was wild. I mean, like. There was everything else. I don't know, like I don't know, Jack, if like you ever met or heard of Flashing Duncan and Dumfries as well. There was like there were like well-known drunks in that city, and like we became acquainted with many of them. Flashing Duncan was one of those, and like you can take a guess as to why he's called that. One of the local drunks is like coming through, and just like, oh, bro, they're like. They're like, Papa, have you ever met like Flashing Duncan? And I'm just like, no. <laughs> but we did. We then didn't. We did meet Flashing Duncan and regretted meeting Flashing Duncan. So it was like, and I, I wish I could remember some of the other names of those people that were there. That just like every town had its idiosyncrasies like that. Um, every town was like that. Air Air was a, a little less so. Air Air had its own idiosyncrasies in the in, in the in the warden of itself. Like I, I remember. We so they did ward family family home evenings, um, and just I mean that and that was that was actually a lot of fun. But I remember oh. it was like they they did. We were there doing a family home evening on Guy Fox Day, um, and of course, like you could see like through the windows, sort of you could hear like this chanting as these people are going by, oh. and then all of a sudden, like you see these people carrying this giant couch and other people carrying this giant table. And right outside of the church, these flames start coming up right outside the church building. Oh, my gosh. And, and of course, like, the sirens are coming. People are coming in. I'm just like, and I'm always, I ask them, I'm just like, do you guys ever think about Guy Fox Day and wonder, why are we celebrating, you know, a, a terrorist event effectively? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's fun. it's fun for the kids. That's all it is. It's great for the kids. I'm just like, to torch everything and have fires literally going on across the entire town like guess so so yeah that that was happening while we're having fhe there's a fire going on outside the building the sirens are wailing we are having a good time and it's just like oh lord what a place. it was um Gosh. it was a good time um Area is also where I ended up getting called. I ended up uh training twice and my first companion that I ended up training was Bjorn Anderson um and Bjorn is like literally I love Bjorn like he was he's fantastic and the very first thing that he told me whenever we got whenever we ended up being companions was just was like I don't really well I can't quote him verbatim because I don't remember it verbatim but he was just like I don't really know that I want to be here but like I'll give it six weeks and then we'll see what happens <laughs> like okay I guess we'll see what happens here like this is a brand new trainee who wants to uh effectively doesn't want to be on this mission anymore um and fortunately like he and i got along super well it, it cracked me up he's swedish 
And like the sweet, the Swedish itself obviously like has sort of this up and down in how you end up speaking, like how, how they speak in general, just is very undulating and very uh, sort of singy. Like it, it's sort of like a song. And he was just so funny whenever he like would talk with people because he gets so anxious and stuff. And he'd be like, excuse me, sir, like, are you, would you like to hear what the gospel is? Like, it's like literally just, and just like, and like, well, and like, we're going, we're going full scale here. Like, man, you're excited about this. He's just, like, I'm just anxious. And I'm just like, oh man, bless his soul. And he was, he was, he was one of those as well. Like whenever we went to, okay. So air has like the, they call it the white city, right? Which I always interpreted that as being because like all the buildings are white. I'm pretty sure it's because of the powder. Um, and so, and that's why they call it the white, the white city. Um, and, and, I, and so we had a, we had, there was a recent convert who ended up living there. We went and visited them frequently. And bless my soul, like the naive, innocent, like missionary, Mormon missionaries that's there. I'm like, we're going up to visit them. And I open up this door and these guys are coming down with a, a with a TV stand. And I think, I think, oh, they're moving their TV stand and getting out the door. And so I just hold the door. I'm like, here you go. You guys just go ahead. And they're just looking at me and they're just like, well, thank you. Like very kind. <laughs> like I think it was Bjorn afterwards after me. He's like, Otterim, I'm pretty sure they were stealing that TV. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> you think? Do you really think that's true? And we look out the window and there they are like racing across the street. <laughs> oh gosh. Location. And I'm just like, Well, that was great. <laughs> I was like, the total naive, like this is totally on par for me and just how I am, like I'm just completely naive about like people do bad things. There are bad actors in this world. I'm just like, whatever. Like <laughs> I sit, I sit these guys in their theft, whatever. It didn't matter. Um, but I would have uh, done the exact same thing. Can I help you carry that? like you're struggling let me help you with that like we're good missionaries and it's just like yeah take this over to our apartment over there um can't you want to hear about god you want to learn about families being forever <laughs> oh lord <laughs> what a what a time um and then uh i'm i'm trying to think if there's like there are so many funny circumstances that like happen in air it, like it they were just it, that was a the ward in general was a really good time. That was one of the few places where I didn't actually have to play piano because they had really talented musicians that were there. The the Sharkies, George and Eileen Sharkey that lived there are still some of my really good friends to this day as well. Um, they are like two of the most beautiful people ever, just like inside, outside. They're just spectacular human beings. And they were they were like parents, grandparents to me. They they read into so much more during the time while I was there than I ever could have and, and just and with such assist like so good at assisting us and being able to help us understand like not just being missionaries but also understand ourselves internally. I remember that like that sort of introspection. They were both very talented because they were social workers. Um and they worked in the prison systems like working with different people there and trying to assist them and talk to them and work with them through their life. So they had really in the great intuition about like how to talk to people and like and how to understand personalities. And at a time that I know like I was really discouraged, like even though air was great, me as a missionary, it was really it was really tough because I'm a bit of I'm I'm more than a bit of a perfectionist. And like as a missionary, that's really tough because like you have no control over anything. 
uh, and you have no control over people's choices. Um, and so I really struggled with that. And both of them was just intuited everything about me and they just were able to make really encouraging um, statements and, and help me with being able to understand more about myself, where some of the feelings are that are coming with, why I'm doing this. It was like sort of having therapy before like therapy was like a big thing. Hmm. Um, and they were, they were just great for that. And Bishop Gilardi as well was just such an asset. I mean, he was the joke, the ongoing joke with Bishop Gilardi at first is that like you hear him on the phone and you do not understand him because he, he's a Glasgow tally. So he was like, Glaswegian Italians, a very rough, very rough, rough voice. And I'm just like, I have no idea what you're saying, like at all. <laughs> like over the phone. It's like, that's all right. I'll see you later. And I'm just like, okay. And like, and, uh, and eventually got used to be able to hear that. Uh, but he, Umberto cracks me up because I have no idea if he, if this is the way that it was supposed to do, but he would literally give us like, the excommunication letter to go and deliver to the people being excommunicated. Oh, man. He, he just, he, he was cleaning house. He was cleaning house. And like, and he, and he, but he had like a good, he had a philosophy of it that was just like, look, if they are in members of the church and they are like not living the way that they're supposed to, their accountability is much higher than like, if like they were not members of the church. And so in his mind, it was like, we're like giving them a favor. I was just like, are the missionaries supposed to, deliver excommunication letters to these people and but we did we did that to several people and we're just like hi we're the missionaries i thought you guys i thought i'd never told you to come here again and we're just like okay well here's your excommunication letter bye <laughs> effective immediately we will never yeah. come again <laughs> we will never we will never You've been served <laughs> You've been served. <laughs> gosh Oh, it's so weird. Yeah, this woman was so bitter. She was so mad at us for coming to her door. So she's like, I, I took my name off the record. She's like, oh, apparently you didn't take your name off the record because, like, we have a letter for you. So, like, well, good. Fine. Get rid of them. And she's like, oh, Lord. That was one of those things. Um, <laughs> Goodness. But um, thinking thinking of, like, strange accents, way back in Kilwinning, one of the very first people that I met whenever we ended up meeting people I, I remember walking down that street, walking down the street to go see them. And these two women were like talking to each other across the street. And I didn't understand a word. I remember looking at my companion and I was just like, utter, they're speaking English, right? And he's like, and he's like, you didn't understand anything. I was like, I didn't understand anything that he said. We meet this guy. We meet this guy. And his, his, his like wife, mother, I can't remember what she was. <clears throat> she on top of it also like has a voice box. Like she, she had throat surgery and just had this voice box. So that was hard enough to sort of like understand in general. And then he was drunk. And then on top of it, he had like a heavy Glaswegian sort of like accent. And I had like been there at all. And I'm trying, and he's trying to explain like his world to me while he's breaking down drunk and everything else. And he's, and I'm just like, and, and I'm just like, I'm so sorry, but I actually, I didn't understand what you said. And he said, and there's just like, how am I supposed to talk to you if you don't even understand what I'm saying? And I'm just like, I don't know. It's just like, you guys, like this, this accent is like absolutely so hard to understand. And this, oh god, that was a, that was quite a circumstance as well. Um, and by the time that I finished my mission, when I remember my brother, like my brother came with my parents to pick me up, and we stood at a hotel at at the hotel front desk with the um. Sort of the bellboy 
for a for a while chatting with him while my parents figured out something. We chatted for like half an hour with that guy. And I remember I looked over at my brother and I was just like, how much of that did you understand? He's like, about a quarter of it. And I was just like, <laughs> I understood everything. I understood all of that at all. But he understood, he's like, I only understood a quarter of that. I was just like, oh, good. It feels so much better now after so much time. <laughs> um, I was able to grab that. <laughs> uh, anyway, back, back on course. So, Last area that I go to is Montrose. I uh, Montrose was my very was closed whenever I was there, and then we reopened it. And I went there with Daniel Jones. We reopened that area. They didn't even have an apartment for us at the time. Um, we ended up staying at a bed and breakfast for a while. Sweetest lady that was there. Worst possible thing was that breakfast didn't start till eight. So we sort of were just like in this little weird conundrum of like, well, okay, personal study, but like breakfast, but like we. <laughs> Anyway, and we, I think we stayed in there for like two weeks or whatever else. It's the weirdest thing, like being in this, uh, just, just doing that. But there was nothing more exciting to me than opening a new area. I thought I was going to be really anxious about that entire thing. Uh, but it was just like, it was fresh. It was like a fresh feel. Like you hadn't, people hadn't ever talked, hadn't talked to missionaries in so long that it was just a new opportunity. The ward was kind of excited, kind of excited to be able to have like missionaries come back. Um, and, and, and to be able to start working again in the area and and Dan, and Dan Jones is just like one of my, another one of my, like, I love Daniel. He and I understand each other and our sarcasm perfectly. We both have like the same level of sarcasm and we got along super well throughout all that. The, they ended up finding us an apartment. Our landlords were awesome. They were like this young, hip 30 something year old couple at the time. And, um, and the apartment was like, was gorgeous it was it was absolutely stunning everything was up to date everything was super clean it was like right on the water too and loved that place it had its own little living room that you could just sit in there and study and then it had like another little study room where you could just hang out for a little while and um and Montrose was just great I I what I wish I sort of had taken advantage of at the time was because it's like a small fishing town like you're on the water it's right there I mean we did go to the beach and there was like there was the weirdest the weirdest antique store and I, when i say antique store i mean like antique field it's like literally just this field of crap and like my companion my companion and i would just go we like were so curious about it that we just took like one preparation day and went driving and we just meandered around forever and there was like there was the statue section there was the book section there was the gnome section there was the whatever there's just like all sorts of, you, if you've never concocted it in your head, it was probably there. And I was like, Man. I was like, what is this place? Like, it, it, like <laughs> Montrose, Montrose, and there's like one sister who lived out there, sweetest lady. She, and we would visit her every now and then. And she lived out in this distance and we would just stop by and check out this weird place. I think I have a video of whenever, I mean, it was like next to a farm as well. These geese would attack us every single time that we went there. They would come chasing after us and chase us into whatever location. It was a good time. Um, and, and, and just Montrose had all sorts of funny, funny characteristics about it. That was, that was the time that my district leader was McKay Livingston and McKay is like, cracked me up. Um, like a great character. I, I read over some of my journal articles, like or journal articles, journal entries again, and I'm sort of baffled by some of the things that we ended up doing. Because I remember, like Elder Jones and I, <clears throat> we we were driving along. This like 
Montrose, you pass through a bunch of different fields. It's just north of Dundee. And you pass through so many fields. And I remember there's one time that we, like, these two um, redneck pheasants were just, like, fighting in the middle of the road. And for some reason, like, Elder Jones just decided to just ram it, pedal to the metal. Like, he's just, like, going for these birds. And, and I just... And literally just takes our vehicle and weaponizes it immediately. And the birds just like one of them scatters off to the other one. We actually need to <laughs> I just want to be able to have this pheasant. Like I want to be able to have a pheasant. And like, why do we need a pheasant? Like, I guess we can have a pheasant. So like our place, we have like there I think there was like a main fridge and then there was like a little, you know, wine fridge and little freezer and whatever else. We stuffed the pheasant in the little freezer, and that thing, that thing just sat there. That must have been there for weeks. I don't even know how long. It was there for a long time. I don't even, and it wasn't until much, I, I'm trying to remember if it was that one or if it was one that McKay Livingston ended up hitting Hessel. Because McKay did the similar kind of thing where he hit a, a pheasant and sort of froze it. And we went over to their apartment after district meeting one time. And we were like, we don't know what to do with the pheasant. So we drop it out of the apartment. It's like this big brick, and we're just dropping it down to see if it will actually shatter apart. I'm just like, oh god, I'm like, I can't, I cannot believe the stupid crap. I cannot believe the dumb things that we ended up doing at missionaries. I'm just like that poor animal, those poor things. <clears throat> but that was just sort of, uh, that was sort of the entertainment of the day. I there, I think there was a pheasant probably in the freezer at our apartment, even whenever I left. Like I, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that, like that pheasant was ever gone. Ever somebody detected that? I'm just like, well, there's the pheasant, the dead pheasant that we were going to cook or whatever. Um, I, I, I just either doesn't know what to do with the dead bird. <laughs> we didn't bleed it. We didn't skin it. We didn't do anything with it. We just like stuffed the bird in the freezer. We're like, okay, we'll get to this later. Never got to it. We're just like, okay, great. Oh man, um, goodness. But uh, but yeah, so that that was just sort of the area in itself. It's very lots of nature, lots of natural beauty to it. Um, and the ward was, the ward was funny. Like it was, it was a small, there's a small ward that hadn't had missionaries for a long time. And I remember like some of the members there, whenever they first got there and then they asked them the question, like they asked me like, Elder Reem, are you excited to be able to be here? I'm like, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Like in, in Montrose, like we're excited to be able to open this area. And like, oh, we'll be, we'll see if you say that in a few weeks from now. And I was just like, oh, I'm like, thanks so much. <laughs> like, I'm curious to know who told you that, Jeremy, because I served in Montrose for six months and oh, I love that. Really? I love that ward. Oh, you know that ward. Okay, that um <laughs> that that was uh oh lord, that was um Gronick, I think it's the last name. Uh, Robert Bob Robert, Bob Stronick, yeah. Bob Stronick, yeah. <laughs> like in retrospect, Bob is like hilarious because he was very dry humor, very but yeah. at, like at the time I was just like, listen, well, that's sort of like Kick out your fire! I'm like that's a lot. Like you're completely trying to kill us here. Oh man, um, that's it. That's his personality, though. He he would do that, he, and that would, you know, you eventually you'd hear him say those things, and you'd just laugh because it was just his way of interacting with you with his sarcastic humor. It was it was pretty good. Oh, it was very good. When, so when were you in, in Montrose? When did you? Um, let's see. Uh, January of 2006 till okay. um, about summertime, like July of 06. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So I wonder how long they closed it for that. I, I, I never knew. So. Well, you got there in, was this in 2010 then? It would have, yeah, it would have been 2010 whenever okay. I finally got there. 
I know that there were missionaries there after me for an extended period of time. And then they had a senior, I think a senior couple there as well for that a little bit. Yeah. And then they closed it after that. But timeline wise, I'm not, it's a little foggy for me. Maybe like 2008, they may have closed it for a period of time, but. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't closed for super long then. No. Um, interesting. Cause the way I like, I mean, I remember looking at the book and just being like, okay, well there's at least a couple of names we can end up working with here. And <clears throat> that yeah um so then you you would know the jamesons as well probably oh the jamesons um, are awesome yeah they were fantastic michael michael and i are still good friends now oh man um, i love michael and and murray they, i mean those guys are just amazing it's so good to see how their life is carried on it's so cool it is very cool like it's been it's been great to do that and i know i know michael has been happily with his partner for many for a long time now um, and it's been, and he, he served his mission ironically with actually one of my good friends that I had in Rhode Island while I was at Brown. Really? Um, it was like a very small world, how that all sort of ended up meshing together, but they, cool. they knew each other that way. Um, yeah. So Michael Jameson was like great. And then the, the, um, I just want to say the far quads, the Farkers. Um, I like we always joked and we said we called them the far quads, and like and we told this to them like Callum, Callum far quads, uh, far Farkers, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> was 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 uh, Bishop Farker still the bishop at the time you were there? No, no, it wasn't. It was um, uh, Bishop Crofton, I think is the is it. Hmm. Um, okay, I don't know that I remember him. Uh, they would they would have been there. I might be getting the name wrong. Uh, that's uh, uh, maybe Brother Crawford. Might be Crawford. They lived in our in our broth. Yeah, it was there yeah, in Bro and yeah. Bro Okay, Brother okay, Crawford. Yeah. I was like, I remember it being something. Okay, uh, so he was the, he was the bishop at the time. Okay, um, cool. and then uh, and then the Jamesons weren't, but like Brother Jameson was amazing i mean like on the organ my gosh i felt like i was yeah. singing with the tabernacle choir every time that i was in church i was just like oh my gosh yeah <laughs> like, very talented musician very talented i mean michael was as well mm -hmm. um and i i like that was one of those places that was one of the only places wherever i actually got to do musical numbers just because of the musical talent that was there so we did like a trio of like savior redeemer of my soul at one point um where Michael was singing, I was on, on piano. And then, uh, one of the Parkers was on, uh, the violin and it was, and that was just great. Like that was, that was really refreshing to actually have, I think that was one of the few places that we had people that were close enough to our age. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I never got that in like Edinburgh, which would have been one of the other ones. And none of the other wards really had too many people that were close enough to our age. Um, uh, so it just it, and so that was really that was really nice and and Montrose was just like you say it's like a beautiful area our bros was great um, and we we ended up finding a guy that was down there uh, and he was really keen on learning about the church and he was doing really super well his uh, his big thing was um, uh, no sexual relations before marriage that was sort of his breaking point because he's just he told us point blank he's just like I really like having sex with my girlfriend I was like well. You know, we feel yeah, we got you. <laughs> like, <laughs> but and it, it, it just, and that was sort of his breaking point. And I was just like, mm. oh, that's a shame. Like he he was um he was doing really he was doing really well for a little while. 
I don't think we had like super, we didn't really have like super great success there in terms of like, in terms of like converts at all. But we did, I remember both Elder Jones, Daniel Jones and I, and then I trained again. That was Nick Boucher was my, was my final companion. He was my, and he was my second trainee. Uh, he and I um, had lots of funny experiences too, together. Um, Lord, I just lost my train, my train of thought. Um, oh no, it was because we ended up doing a lot of less active work <clears throat> while we were there because um, uh, Montrose just was sort of aching in many ways, like for being able to get enough people that were there. They had plenty of members. They just weren't actually getting them to come out. And I remember, I remember like being really discouraged one at one point, because I was also not only training, I was a district leader at the time as well, which was like the one, the one calling I actually really wanted to avoid. I'd never wanted to be a district leader, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, oh, we didn't have anybody that was like at at church, like any investigators that were there. And I remember one of the zone leaders sort of asking, uh, like, well, well, I forget how that conversation totally went, but somehow it came up. We had eight or nine less actives that were coming back to church, like by the time that I was like going, that was I was leaving. And we sort of reported that out. And the zone leaders were like, why didn't you think that we would want to know? Like, it wasn't one of our key indicators. It wasn't our or whatever like nobody wanted to do that and I, I think our mission changed after that like shortly thereafter about like less actives at church but that was sort of the work that we ended up doing Nick Boucher and I did that uh, Dan Jones and I ended up doing that we did a lot of less active work um, and that was one of the best experiences like I loved being able to I think like if I look back on my mission and I talk about like Scotland more often than not I usually think of the members <laughs> Like it wasn't even like the the people that were proselyting to or teaching and anything. I it was always the members. Like they were such a family for all of us. Um, okay. and, but but particularly for me, like I every single ward I went to, um, I ended up feeling that way and would not have been able to have done it without all those people. And Montrose was the same way. They just would let us like pop by and visit them, and just they were always so encouraging and welcoming to have the missionaries over there so hmm. <clears throat> um yeah but that was uh that was some of the those were some of the really good memories that came out of that i mean montrose i loved i ended up closing that dundee was just like like i of, of, of all the zones i think dundee i loved like probably the most air is probably my favorite area but there's something there was something magical about dundee i don't know what it is like they call it the funny city um, but it it's, was, the, it's the sunshine. That's the key. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. I guess yeah. People are happy. <laughs> like it was like it, it made everybody feel much better. Yeah, it, it was it was that way. And then like I love nature in general, and I think like I felt at home <clears throat> somewhat in Montrose as well, just because it's it's out in the boonies. Um, yeah, and it was, a, it was a really good time. So, and that's and that's where I closed off my mission was Montrose, and ended up leaving out stayed for a little bit more to see one more tattoo and my parents came with my brother like i said earlier and and he they they stopped in iceland i was jealous of that they stopped in iceland on the way over and uh and went and cruised around there for a while and then they came and picked me up and cruised around scotland for a while and we went back down to air at the very end of my end of my mission Stuart mcgee was getting married at that time in 2010 um and uh and so they were having their Kaylee. 
uh, at the church. And so we, my parents and I, and my brother ended up staying in Glasgow for a while, took a train down and went and visited with, and went to the Cayley. And that was like a great experience to be able to, to be there. Like, I was like, if there was, if there was ever going to be more an authentic experience of like Scotland, this is going to be it. There's haggis here, there are people in kilts, everything's great. Like, uh, this is Scotland for you. And my, my brother and my dad both were like amazed that they loved haggis. And I was just like, it's really not that bad. It's actually really good. I loved, I liked haggis a whole lot. Yeah. So that was a good time. Agreed. Well, Jeremy, do you have any specific memories of your interactions with the Fredericks, both President and Sister Frederick, or with the Griffiths? <laughs> uh, so uh, with, with, the, with President Frederick, with President Frederick, I remember this happened one time while I was in, where was I? Is that Dumfries? No, that wasn't Dumfries. Where, no, where was I? Okay, it doesn't matter. Um, in one of my areas, I think it was Dumfries. Um, in one of my areas, I'm an unapologetic nerd. Like, and I, and I like will everly, I will say that to every single person. Like when I was, when I say like I was a biologist and chemist and everything else, like I, I really invested in that kind of stuff. I loved it. And two years away from getting to do anything academic for a long time, absolutely just kind of killed me in some ways. Yeah. And so I remember, I remember like at the library one time while we were like sending emails home back when people did that. Um, <laughs> Not what, call, what are they calling them once a week now on like Zoom chat with their family? I'm just like, oh my god, something like that, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like my companion, I know that we were supposed to stay with each other at each other's screens and whatever else, but I definitely would like sneak off to a couple sections of the library, and nerd me would like pick up a chemistry textbook and literally just like start reading through something <laughs> that was anything science. I kid you not. Wow. I ended, I ended up like picking up my, um, putting in, if I look back through like some of my planners, there's even like regular like chemical reactions. I was trying to remember or things like formulas. I was trying to remember from like what I did at school. I was like unapologetic nerd. And, but, like, also, like, also thinking I need to be good and I need to be like a good person and I shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. And so I felt kind of bad about like getting so sidetracked with like wanting to have this scientific stuff. So I remember whenever I was in a meeting with President Frederick and I was telling him, he's like, well, Elder, do you have anything that you want to share? Things that you need to say? I was like, President Frederick, I, I need to be able to share this. Like, I feel bad about it and everything, but like... I'm just absolutely dying without having some sort of academic stimulation. <laughs> <laughs> I need some academic stimulation here. And I've been like going to the library and picking up biology books and things on like, you know, quantum mechanics and whatever else and reading through things. And he just busted up laughing. Like he just started laughing like so hard. He's just because because <laughs> I was feeling guilty about this and I was just like, this seems ridiculous and everything. And I was just like, Elder Room. If that if that were the worst of the problems that our missionaries had, we'd be doing great. <laughs> <laughs> bless bless his soul, because President Frederick was. I think he's like he's like the CEO of like a dynamite company or like right. a, a, a like a, um yeah, it wasn't a dynamite, but it was an explosive company of some right. form. So he was all gung ho on chemistry. He and I talked chemistry for a little while during that meeting, <laughs> and it was. And it was just hilarious, like being able to actually sit there and chat for a little bit. And he's just like, maybe you want to take a break from the textbooks and whatever else. But 
you're doing fine, Elder Ring. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's awesome. I'm like, oh, God. And that, that's like the worst thing that I could possibly do. And there were so many worse things that were happening that missionary was doing. I, I mean, that, the rumors on the street were happening with all kinds of stuff from elders and sisters, you know, filling up the baptismal font and going and jumping in their garments together. Whatever. <laughs> there were all sorts of crap that people like apparently were doing. Oh, boy. Um, and then, so that's that's one memory that I specifically have with President Frederick. I, Sister and Sister Frederick and Sister Griffith were just were were both fantastic. They could not have been more opposite from one another, um, it, which was hilarious. Because Sister Griffith, like Sister Frederick, loved to cook. She loved having missionaries. Loved having sort of like these big dinners that she would throw together. And Sister Griffith is just like, let's order Subway. Let's uh, let's just get sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I so vibed with her with that. I was just, just like, I I do not like cooking. I'm not here for that kind of thing. <laughs> so she did not want to do this. It was like such a transition. And because like just who I am, I've always I've always resonated better with just I've always resonated better with women for various reasons. Uh, and so it would always be just sort of like these laughing and and sort of gaggle laughs with them because they just had like these jokes that they would share with with me every now and then. And I don't know, I resonated with them a, a whole lot. Um, but I remember that that big dichotomy between the two of them and Sister Griffith putting her foot down. She's just like, yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna order subs. That's what we're gonna do. We're not gonna, we're not doing all this cooking thing. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> so I was like, I approve of that message, Sister Griffith. Like, that sounds great. I'm here for you for that. So, Man, that's um, funny. <laughs> Yeah, those are, some of the, those are some of the ones that I remember the most. Oh, good. Those are pretty funny. Well, do you have any specific uh, missionaries beyond those that you've mentioned? I mean, we've we've talked to Andy Harper. We are talking to Spencer Chatlin in a couple weeks. Okay. Um, but beyond that, there's none of your other missionaries you've mentioned as we've talked um talked about that have been on the podcast so do you want to call any of them out and tell them to get on here in the future <laughs> i definitely think that dan jones should probably get on uh on here i don't i and like if you can grab Bjorn anderson it would be great Bjorn went on to be i think he was a district leader and i think he also trained i could get that wrong but I, he went on to c- complete his mission he said he was going to only do six weeks and he finished his whole mission and nice. so like good really good for him and he's a he's a great person as well um, so definitely would call them out as well. And if you want really funny stories and you have not, not my companion, but see if you can grab Trent, Trent Lamoureux, he will like laugh. You will be laughing your socks off. Like he's just a character. <laughs> he is one of the funniest people I ever have met in my entire life. Um, and just really goofy. And unless things have changed dramatically with him, I, I imagine it's still, it's still the case. <laughs> so, um, but th- those would be three people that I would definitely say like, grab them. I'm glad you're grabbing Spencer. Spencer is, uh, is hilarious. He's great. Yeah. Um, and he, and he's, and he's, he's a, he's a very, he's a great soul, like literally one of the most caring people I know. So. That's awesome. I love it. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking us on the journey of your experience in Scotland, man. It's been a lot of fun to hear your experiences and the, the fun times that you had, the great people you interacted with and, all that you learned in Scotland. So really we appreciate you taking time to share that with us tonight. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. And, uh, and hopefully I didn't yammer on too long for you, but, it's, uh, but I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun to go back through a lot of these memories and, and jump back through and see, 
those two years that are now many years ago. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. Well, we'll let you go tonight, but we want to express to you our love. We're so grateful that you're one of our brothers in Scotland. And uh, this is just a big group that we've been brought together by a wonderful country that's brought us so so much joy in our lives. So thank you again for, for coming on and spending time with us tonight. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. I am really glad to be here. Absolutely. All right, Jeremy. Well, cheerio to you. We'll talk to you more. Have a good night. You as well. Take care, guys. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>